0: Hey! Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman. And this week, we're feeling more and more convinced that, you know, maybe we've entered a whole new era in the Bundesliga, an era where anything is possible, where a whole host of teams can dream of lifting the Meisterschale. With me this week is Maria Schulte-Bakum of Focus Online. Just how free are you feeling right now that there is not only seven points, but five? five teams between Bayern and the league leaders. Gladbach, Marie.
1: I think this is Christmas come early. You know, we've wanted this for so many years. And every match day, it seems like the table flips. There's always a new team that kind of creeps up. Like this this week, it was Leverkusen, who suddenly, after two back-to-back wins, were all a bit like, oh, there you are. So it's been really spectacular. And I think at the moment, a lot of European Football nations are looking jealously towards the Bundesliga.
0: For sure, for sure. I mean, this is uh, is the most wide-open title race certainly in the Bundesliga for years, but also the most wide-open title race in all of Europe this year, for sure. I mean, this is, you know, seven points between the first seven teams and, and there's been an absolute shuffle every single week. As you said, we're going to be talking about all of that. We're going to be talking about what's wrong at Bayern. You know, there are only seven points off the top wrong, but there's still plenty to talk about. Uh, what's going right at Gladbach up on top at Leipzig, at Leverkusen, the aforementioned, the guys who 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 kind of, Kept Schalke from from taking their good turn a little bit further. Sorry about that, Marie. Um, we'll be we talking about the new American hype train that is just beginning to prepare to leave the station in Dortmund. We'll be keeping an eye on that and and lots of other things. So do not go away. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day that's just gone by. This week was match day 14. And uh, (laughs) maybe it's beginning to be a habit. It's another week, another loss for Bayern Munich. You know, after after Saturday's 2-1 defeat in München Gladbach, Germany's record champions find themselves seven points back from the Foles and all the way down in seventh, Place. Seven, seven, seven. Hmm. <laughs> Just as it was against uh, Leverkusen last week, Bayern really did more than enough to win the game with respect to creating chances. And, and they really have no one but themselves to blame that they couldn't get it done earlier. Even Parasit scored early in the second half after Bayern somehow, someway, went into the locker room at the half in this game with you know everything even at nil-nil. But Gladbach's Rami Bensabaini ended up the hero in this game. He scored a dynamic header on the hour mark and then converted a penalty in stoppage time you know I think you said it yourself already this is this is the best gift the Bundesliga could have got ahead of the winter break how did you take this particular game in how much fist pumping was going on
1: (laughs) well I will not comment on the fist pumping because I need to keep my journalistic integrity safe but yeah I think Gladbach is a opponent that Munich has struggled with for many years they're one of their so-called Angstgegner as we like to say in Germany so basically opponents of fear you could say and they did that tag justice and the weird thing is they really didn't have to do that much for it because like you said, Bayern had so many chances. I, I read a statistic that in this match against Gladbach and last weekend against Leverkusen, they had a total of 40 chances and scored two goals. So that is terrible, terrible conversion there. And also, incidentally, of course, Lewandowski didn't score again. So it just, I mean, a lot of things are going wrong. Like You can see the the dependence on that one striker is obviously really grave. You don't have another central striker that you can bring on. In the last 10, 20 minutes when, you know, you really need a goal, that used to be Sandro Wagner. They don't have that anymore.
0: (laughs) To think that Bayern would be missing Sandro Wagner right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But, you know, you read that, for example, they aren't interested in Erling Haaland, who, like, all of Europe is chasing right now. And I kind of think, why not? You know, Lewandowski is 33 years old. He's obviously in prime physical condition, hardly ever injured. He's a fantastic striker, probably the... Europe's most informed striker right now, to be honest. But there will be an era after Lewandowski and with the high inflation of strikers in the transfer market that we've seen in the past five years, you know, I think it would be good to maybe buy a young striker, build him up along Lewandowski and they've really shown that they're not interested in Timo Werner. So I I don't really know what the planning is there, but at the moment I'm a bit concerned. Another thing that I've noticed is their midfield. And there's really no consistency in Bayern's midfield. And I think Bayern Munich always sees themselves as, you know, their aspiration is to be one of the top three or five European club sides. And if you look at the other top five or three European club sides, you know, you have Real Madrid. If you think of the Real Madrid midfield, you know, everyone pictures faces immediately. You picture Modric, Kroos, Casemiro over many years. Barcelona, you picture Rakitic and Busquets. And, you know, Man City, you know, you have Silva and De Bruyne. And Bayern, they just rotate and rotate and rotate from game to game. They've got Javier Martinez playing a bit more of a role on a flick. Then, of course, Kimmich pushing into midfield now. Toliso, who's been really quite poor all season. Goretzka. And who am I missing? <laughs> tiago, of course
0: oh thiago, who who is you know way off off of where he often is in in recent seasons,
1: yeah, so i I think not having a consistent heart to their side, you know, because the midfield is really the heart of any football side that really dictates the rhythm and the creativity and also the dynamic well any d- dynamic moving forward to be honest is is a bit of a concern, so I think That's just something I've noticed from game to game, especially under Flick. Kovac would sometimes play the same midfield for two or three games in a row and then switch it up. But Flick doesn't seem to have settled on his favorite personnel in that area yet
0: yeah yeah and it's it's interesting that you're bringing up um, problems in midfield i was talking last week you know about pace at the back being a problem for one of their title rivals dortmund but it seems like that's beginning to be a bit of a problem for Bayern as well i mean this is basically the reason why they didn't get one point out of this and got beat here is because a player who you know, looked pretty gassed for the last 20 minutes of this game, which is to say, Turam was, was you know, latched onto a ball and found an extra burst of speed, which none of us thought that he had anymore, but it was fast enough to beat Javi Martinez and, you know, force him to make a very bad tackle in the box. You know, Bayern are getting beat for pace pretty regularly at the back, and I think that teams... Who are constructed like Gladbach or like Leipzig, who have you know some very very quick players going forward, are going to be looking to do that to Bayern a lot. Yeah, and
1: I feel bad for Matthias because he st- that stuck out against Leverkusen too, where he couldn't handle the speed of Folland and Bailey. So he's really, I mean, he's struggling at the moment. He's struggling in central defense, but he's also struggling in defensive midfield. And I don't know how many more chances he's going to get because he does look. I don't want this to be too harsh, but he looks a bit out of shape. And it might just be because he's getting a bit old. He was never the fastest player, but he always made up for it with his uh, supreme tackling, anticipation, and of course, his calm passing. And at the moment, that doesn't seem to be enough.
0: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Let's talk a little bit about Borussia Mönchengladbach because there's no reason to just wring our hands about Bayern. You know, journalistic integrity, it's aside. I, I think that it is something that I, I feel comfortable pumping my fist about when they lose because it's been such a long time of Bayern dominance that I'm just purely happy to see other teams in the race. I actually have, you know, tons of respect for that club and what they have done over the last several years, but it's nice for other you know, other dogs in the pack to get a chance to eat a little bit. I was really, really impressed with, uh, Ben Cibaini in this game and not just from the fact that he, he scored the two critical goals to, to get this win, but he just seemed to sort of be in all of the right places at a lot of opportune times. You know, I already mentioned his, his two goals and I think that, that they were, they were both impressive in their own way. Um. Oddly enough, I read that he had forgotten that he had told the team that he was going to be the penalty taker. Um, <laughs> Brail Embolo had had some trouble uh, putting, putting the ball in the back of the net in, in recent uh, penalty-taking situations. So Vincent Baini had, had said at one point, all right, you're not taking him anymore, I'm taking the next one, and then said after this game that he had forgotten that he had said that. So suddenly when, when they handed him the ball, he was like, oh, I, I guess I got to do this now. And he, he handled it with a plum. That was like almost a perfect PK.
1: Yeah. And you know, Neuer guessed the right corner. Neuer's a very good penalty saver. We know that from the national team and Bayern Munich. So it was incredible. I mean, he really, really placed it just right. And there was really no doubt, you know, it wasn't one of those penalties where everyone's like, Oh, Oh, is it going in? You know, it was just so a hundred percent thrashed in the right spot in the sweet spot. So Really, really good penalty. And Ben Sabaini, I mean, I, you know, who really knew him before he came in the summer? He came from Stade Rennes. I have to admit, I don't really watch a lot of Stade Rennes matches. And it just shows again that Max Abel did his job really well. So, yeah, kudos. And I think, you know, left back is one of those really tough positions in modern football where it's really hard to find a quality left back. And you see a lot of world-class teams Having kind of above average left backs because, you know, paying fifty million for them, uh, not to mention any team's names here. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, Benzema has some potential. So good, good on Gladbach to see him fitting in so quickly. And there was the moment—I forget if it was after the first or second goal—but where he, he, where he kind of hit his chest and he hit the the club crest. And I have to say, at that moment, I kind of recoiled a little bit because I hate it when. You know, in this in this modern era of the game where there's so much moving back and forth between clubs, I yeah. was like... Ugh.
0: The guy who moves <laughs> in the very next window, having, exactly. having kissed his badge.
1: <laughs> to Bayern Munich. <laughs> um, no, we, we, you know, that probably won't happen. But yeah, that was just something I wanted to comment on because I did notice
0: that. Yeah, it's interesting to me, the fact that Bayern really did in a lot of ways, play well. Not only in this game, especially in the first half, but in in the previous game against Leverkusen. You know, they unfortunately lost both of those games. But the frustration that it seems to be setting in, I mean, there was some really, really salty stuff coming from uh, Joshua Kimmich after this game, saying things like, you know, the alarm bells should have been ringing for us even before this game. Whoever hasn't got the picture yet has the wrong idea completely if they think it's going to be like last season, where of course they won the title after uh, uh, quite a few points, being quite a few points back at the winter break. He said that's the wrong way to look at it. I take his point about you know results don't just go Bayern's way automatically; they have to work for it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know <laughs> the team's playing well still. It's, it's it, <laughs> to a degree. There's just some some bad juju going on, right?
1: Yeah, and I also think Kimmich sometimes you have to take with a pinch of salt because it's just Kimmich being Kimmich. And this is kind of his
0: the Rottweiler.
1: claim, you know, he's, he, yeah, he sees himself exactly. He sees himself as the future captain of the national team and of Bayern Munich. And to be frank, he probably will be, but I think sometimes he overdoes it a bit with the, you know, holding, you know, holding the pin or holding the, you know, when you're in kindergarten and you get to hold the little, cuddly toy, and then you get to speak. Sure,
0: okay, right, right. He holds on a little Um, too tight. And then you you pass it
1: on to the next person. Yeah, he just it's like he never passes it on to the next person. You know, you get it from the person sitting next to you, then you speak, then you pass it on. And sometimes I think he just speaks a bit too much. (laughs) And, yeah, I think also, like you said, I mean, there were these pictures online of him kind of, like, crying and screaming on the pitch. (laughs) And I was like, okay, he looks like he's just lost a war and really, you know like you said their development is actually quite well. They're playing, I mean, against Leverkusen, they played incredibly good football. So there's definitely an improvement in their style of play and the results will come. And Gladbach is usually one of those clubs that around February or March of any given season cracks a bit like Leverkusen. So, you know, there's really a lot of hope left and, in the Champions League, they won five out of five games. Not every club does that either. That's a huge accomplishment. So, you know, Kimmich, chill, <laughs> is my
0: take. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, I actually think it's a particularly interesting constellation right now with with the fact that Bayern, their play has improved pretty substantially in terms of, of the chances that they create and, and so forth under Hansi Flick, as well as their press being a lot more effective. But the fact that the results aren't going their way and the fact that they've sort of dug themselves a hole in the title race, I, I just think that makes it makes it doubly interesting because I I, I do not have any any uh, doubt that Bayern are going to be a really well-functioning team that is going to have something to say in, in the course of this title race all the way to the end. I mean, they're, they're not going to fade away or anything, which just makes it even better because not only are, are they sort of under the gun, but they're going to be pressing these challengers all the way, which means... Oh man, so much more excitement to come! I'm so excited. (laughs) Uh, uh, Let's 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 move on to the uh, the the game that I think uh, probably captured your attention more than than many others. This was uh, the Saturday night game in which your own Schalke entered the game. They were playing in Leverkusen. They were in third place going into the game. They were unbeaten in five league games. They were feeling very confident. I'm sure. But things didn't really go their way. Lucas Alario put Leverkusen up early. The chances kept coming for Leverkusen, and eventually the Argentine striker added another one. Uh, Benito Rahman's goal ended up being too little, too late. Interesting. I mean, it, it was a game that I think that the Royal Blues did, of course, have a chance to get a result from. I mean, they were down 2-1 with eight minutes to go. It was not over. And and David Wagner, after the game, looked Actually pretty, pretty sunny, saying he thought that there were a lot of positives that they could draw from this game as they they head into their last few fixtures before the winter pause, which is to say Eintracht at home, Wolfsburg away and Freiburg at home. How confident are you feeling about where Schalke stand? I mean, they're, they're now in what, fourth place instead of third place, which is still a pretty damn good place to be.
1: Yeah, I think Schalke, apart from maybe Freiburg, among those seven teams at the top is the club which I mean, it sounds a bit bizarre if you've been following Schalke for many years, but it's the club that is the calmest right now in the sense that they have the least expectations and everyone around the club from the board to the new coach, to the fans is kind of just like in disbelief that they're in such a good position. And, you know, I think it's the type of club where even if you lose three in a row, you know, people would obviously not be happy, but no one would be talking about the coach's job or, you know, be critical of the team's morale or anything, which is what we saw last year. So I think it's before this match, they were unbeaten for five in a row, which was exceptional in the Bundesliga, including against Dortmund, of course, in the Derby. But there's no, you know, there's no point in Schalke losing their patience yet, because even against Leverkusen, there were um, times, especially in the second half, where they definitely improved, where they played good football where things worked, where you could see, you know, certain parts of their game, certain patterns that you could tell that they were trained and that they worked really well. And really excited about the interplay between Arid and Rahman. Those are two players that really seem to be coordinating well together and finding each other on the pitch. So there are definitely some positives there. I want to pick a little bit on Alexander Nubel Mm. (laughs) Um, because he does seem to I mean, I, I think he's trying to prove too many things. You know, it seems like every game he's trying to prove, oh, look, I'm two-footed. Oh, I can play out flat, uh, play out from the back. I don't even have to build it forward. I can play, play it straight on the ground. And in this match, you know, there were, again, two scenes where he kind of just gave it to the opposition. In the scene of the first goal uh, by Leverkusen, he, of course, took off a bit too early and then missed uh, the punch. And then, you know, the goal was empty for Alario to head the ball into. So, I mean, that can happen to anyone. I think that's one of those classic mistakes that is just a bit unfortunate. But like I said, there are other parts of his game that are a bit concerning. And I do think that the speculation around his future is definitely a bit of a burden on him. So I do hope no matter, and I mean this honestly, no matter what the decision will be, I hope that you know, he will make it and he will announce it quickly because this is starting to remind me a bit of Goretzka last year where suddenly everyone found out after Christmas and then Tönius was like, I never want to see him in a Schalke jersey again and everyone just went a bit crazy.
0: Yeah, and to me it just doesn't make any sense, the timing of this. I mean, if his two most sort of, his two leading alternatives are are to stick around at Schalke, sign a new deal and sort of, you know, Build up his his cred, his price, et cetera, or to go to Bayern as soon as he can. For me, there's not even there's not even a choice to be made. I mean, going to Bayern would mean not being first choice. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Yeah. Why in the world would he do that? that? That you know, there's there's absolutely no reason to move to another club where you aren't going to be first choice, and to sort of be an understudy to a guy who. I think would have to basically, you know, to, to use the, the 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 Trumpian phrase, shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue, and he still wouldn't lose his place.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And also, I mean, you hear so much, there are so many things that you hear around Nubis. So apparently, Schalke is offering to build in a €20 million euro release clause into a new contract that could first be activated in 2021. And, you know, that's nothing in today's world. And who's to say that he can't go to Bayern Munich in 2022 or 2023 when Neuer is rumoured to sign, you know, that's Neuer's rumoured expected contract extension. Well, I'm not sure I placed all those words in the right order, (laughs) but I think you get the gist. So I, I agree. I kind of just don't see it as being a very tough decision to make. I think he's perhaps trying to see if Schalke will qualify for for Europe next season. But, you know, you won't be able to see that for sure until April at the very earliest. So I just, ugh, I, I I get why the Schalke fans are a bit impatient with Nubel at the moment.
0: Yep. Yep. I, it, it seems to me that this is a, a a choice that really is no choice at all. And he needs to just make it. Let's, I guess, maybe talk on, on the positive side of things for a moment. You mentioned the fact that Schalke are sort of Sitting as pretty as they are in terms of, of the league table and the fact that they've, you know, lost just one game in the last six. Even though the the expectations are are pretty low on them and they kind of feel like the pressure's not on. I think another aspect to me, anyway, is that they're still, as as the Germans say, Luft nach oben. I mean, this is a team that has played, you know, some pretty nice football at times, but has not been a terribly dominant or dazzling team in very many games, and I still feel like this team has the the the, the prospect of getting a lot better through the course of the season. You brought up Benito Raman and his his sort of uh, understanding with Amin Arit. and I think, you know, Benito Raman, how how many games has he actually been healthy? I mean, he 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 started the season able to play, then went several weeks without. He's only played a big role in the last three or four games, and he's scored in the last three games. I really feel like the emergence of him and and sort of, you know, whenever uh, Nastasic is going to be healthy again permanently. I mean, this is a team I think may well end up in in the second half of the season being significantly better than they have been in the first.
1: Yeah, I actually, I saw this week that Raphael Honigstein, um, who now writes for The Athletic, basically compared um, Schalke to a Premier League side. He says... Under David Wagner, they play like a pre- Premier League team in the sense that obviously they press really early. They're quite physical, and then they've got a few players of supreme technical ability up front, where they just kind of everyone else tries to just give the ball to them, which makes a lot of sense. And Suárezada has emerged as one of those technical players. He's been really key to Schalke this season. He scored, I think, five goals already, which is a lot for a central midfielder. And it's really good having a number eight, someone who's really in the middle of the pitch, not too far up front to be able to carry that ball forward. And in the sense, in the way that he plays with his dribbling and his dynamic uh, dynamic style, he actually reminds me a little bit of Leon Goretzka at, at Schalke, who had a similar role. So at Bayern, Goretzka sometimes plays a bit higher up the field. But the Goretzka we saw at Schalke is quite reminiscent of the way that Suat plays right now. And I really mean that as much as a compliment as it sounds. So he's been really stellar this season for Schalke. Sure. And also, I mean, let's talk about Ozan Kabak, (laughs) a 19-year-old defender. I mean, his... So Neven Subotij recently said in a TV show, so Neven Subotij, of course, the Dortmund legend who's now at Union Berlin, that to him, he'd much rather tackle someone like have a clean tackle you know really like a sweeping tackle that to him is better than scoring a bicycle kick goal <laughs> and if you know if we see if we count it like that then basically Kabak scored two bicycle kick goals against Leverkusen because there were two moments both in the box I mean that's really very very high risk if you miss there that's a red card and a penalty and he's just I think he's got a lot of room for improvement, which again goes back to what you said about Schalke having room to get better in terms of opening play and, you know, setting up attacking movements. But defensively, especially for a 19-year-old, he's so mature. His anticipation is fantastic. His tackling is very good. He's extremely physical the way he's built. And um, yeah, to me, a very exciting season ahead, but to me, a very exciting signing.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. What did you think? Because I, I was under the impression that uh, that Nastasic was going to be healthy for this game. And I assume that there might have been something either in the, in the warm up or perhaps in the day leading up to this. We saw Weston McKinney have to fill in in central defense, which I know that maybe this is a, a, a sort of line of reasoning that's particularly interesting to talk about to me as an American and among other Americans. But, you know, I think we're beginning to bristle a little bit when we see him moved all over the pitch as we have in the past. We thought maybe he was going to be settling into that eight role, but there he was in central defense again.
1: Yeah. You know what? I feel bad for him because I saw also online that a lot of fans were, you know, kind of not very happy with his performance. And I've got to say, well, you know, what do you expect? There was no one else who could have played in central mid uh, defense. He is extremely versatile, but, Yeah, I think you were getting at the same thing. It's not only a strength, it's also a bit of a weakness because especially for a young player, you need to find your position and settle in it and grow in it. And he's just never been allowed to do that at Schalke. So I also understand why some American football fans, you know, looking ahead at the future of the American national team, perhaps even as far as the World Cup 2026, when it will be in the US, are a bit frustrated with, with Schalke And I don't think he had a very good game against Leverkusen. But I also don't think he was terrible. I just think that's not his position. And, you know, kudos to him for putting himself in the service of the team. I actually thought, so I don't know if he was part of it, but whenever you had that view from the top throughout the match, you know, when you could see all the players and they kind of look like little Lego pieces, Schalke often seemed to have a back three when they were in possession. And I, I'm trying to think, so it was definitely o- o- chipka was part of that and Kabak. And then I'm trying to think of Weston McKenney or uh, John Joe Kenny were the, the last part in that back three. I'm trying to think who was the one who pushed forward more. I don't know if you can help me with that.
0: Well, I mean, Kenny was uh, Kenny came in as a substitute, did he not? Or was he, or maybe I have that backwards, he came off in, in the second half, rather.
1: Yes, yeah, he came off for um, Oot or Cattuccio.
0: Yeah, for ut No, Oot. I
1: think, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to remember, but anyway it doesn't matter Well
0: Kenny Kenny lives his life pretty far forward, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna assume it's probably him.
1: Yeah, yeah, so that was interesting, interesting bit of tactics again by David Wagner to have quite an attacking setup in possession. But I think at the moment there's no room for McKenny in midfield, which is a shame because of course Omar Mascarell is playing sensationally and then you've got Suat Serda ahead of him you know on that number in that number 8 spot Arid is kind of everywhere sometimes he's up front sometimes he's on the left wing sometimes he's a kind of second number 8 and at the moment McKenney doesn't seem to have a spot in the lineup Kali of course also has to go somewhere now that he's no longer right back so it's it's a tough it's a tough one i think McKenney's got a bit of a task ahead of him
0: All right. I guess the bottom line about what I wanted to talk to you about (laughs) following some of the feedback that Talking Foosball received last week from some Schalke maniacs (laughs) was that, you know, I've gotten to some trouble with these folks for dismissing Schalke's title credentials and for saying that I thought that uh, their match in Leverkusen was going to be a tough test that I didn't think that they would pass. I rest my case on, on the latter point. But Am I crazy for thinking, the former, that, that that Schalke are just not legitimate title candidates?
1: Oh, you phrase that very kindly. Because <laughs> crazy is a strong word. No, you're not crazy. I think, I think Schalke fans and Schalke, you know, the leaders of the club would be extremely happy if Schalke were to qualify for Europe, even if that means Europa League, because that would far exceed the expectations ahead of the season. And if they somehow managed to slide into the Champions League spots, you know, that would be the icing on the cake. Anything more? You know, I think Leipzig has a a bit of a word to say. Gladbach, I don't, you know, maybe you can call me crazy in return, but Gladbach, I don't see them going all the way. I just really, knowing them for many years, I think they're going to crack around February or March at the latest and, you know, lose some games then. But no, I, I don't think Schalke is a title contender, but I think... They're doing very, very well. And before we move on to another team, I just we please can we talk about Borussia and Coutinho because it's driving me crazy. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I mean, you as a you know neutral observer, so to say, what did you think of Borussia's performance against Leverkusen? Because he's been out of the starting lineup for you know a handful of games now, and um, this was kind of his chance again to make his mark on the match what did you think
0: oh i mean my general take on guida is that he's just a sort of extremely limited try hard i mean this is not a, this is not an innovative or interesting take but it's the truth and it i i totally understand the frustration of of many many schalke fans with the fact that he seems to to get a lot more time in the starting lineup you know the last few weeks, uh, leaving, leaving that aside, then, then they think that he really merits. I mean, there was apparently some, some talk that maybe he wouldn't have been in the starting lineup if, if Nastasic hadn't been there. I mean, there was a comment that, um, David Wagner made. I think it was today after training, perhaps he said something to the effect that he, we wanted and we needed his his uh, you know, physical presence and that, you know, on things like defending set pieces, we needed a big guy that, you know, could could, you know, give us some of that beef that <laughs> Nastasic would have given us. But it's it's a terrible thing to make that compromise.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just think when I look at the way he plays and what he offers, what he brings to the table, I don't think he would be a starter at a, another top half of the league side. Even you know it teams like, you know, Augsburg has better strikers. They've got Niederlechner now. Mainz has better options. All these kind of teams. And then you just gotta think, what happened, Schalke? You know, you used to Schalke used to really Schalke prides itself on being one of the three largest clubs in Germany, out they always like to say. And then you
0: call... Oh, yeah, they had Huntelaar and, and Raoul, for God's sakes.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, even saying those names, I mean, I'm not going to even say this Austrian striker's name in the same sentence as Huntelaar and Raoul, because it would just be a travesty. And, you know, he's the king of offside. How many, you know, again, he stands on offside so much. And, oh... Uh, and then Cattuccio, every time he comes on, if it's in the 70th or in the 79th or 85th minute, he always does something. He's had an assist against Leverkusen and in the last match as well. So I just, I, I against Union Berlin, I, I, just, I just really don't get it. And I think, I mean, Cattuccio must be terrible in training because that's the only explanation I have. Or maybe Wagner just likes to have, you know, something up his sleeve to to surprise opponents with late in the match, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm none the wiser. It's, it's really, really frustrating to watch.
0: Yeah. Don't, don't you worry. I am, I am 100% hashtag free (laughs) I'm 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 fully on board. We got a couple of more teams I wanted to talk about before we take our break. One of them being Freiburg who, you know, they just keep on trucking. At the, the top end of the table, they they fended off uh, a Wolfsburg side that probably actually had the better chances in this game in, in Freiburg. Jonathan Schmid scored the only goal of the game with another one of his, uh, you know, screaming free kicks. Although he said after the game, he doesn't even practice free kicks. This is just like stuff he's he's... Pulling out of his rear end, apparently. <laughs> what is your take on on Freiburg? Are, are they actually destined to to hang on and and push for Europe? Because, you know, they've been proving me wrong. I thought they they were gonna gonna you know take a bit of a tumble weeks ago, and and they're not, which you know just proves I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm interested in the Schalke Freiburg match coming up in a few weeks because for sure that will be a bit of a test of the two surprising clubs this season, and. Freiburg I I just don't get it. Every match day I kind of expect it. I'm like, oh, "Okay, this will be the one where you fall down the table." And they just don't. And Wolfsburg as a strong side, you know, Voutweghaus, their striker is really in very very good form. Actually, a colleague of mine this week mentioned that in the future, he would be a really good signing to Dortmund, and it's just be, for Dortmund, and it's just kind of been on my mind because I actually agree because he would—he's exactly that type of player they're missing, and he's a very involved striker. You know, he runs back into midfield to get boards. He's a very hard-working striker, although he's got the build of a natural number ten. He's a very much a participatory player, but yeah, again, they just it.
0: Yeah, I think as long as Lucy and Favre doesn't doesn't mix him up and, and think that he's uh, Luke de Jong by accident, he he probably actually would play him.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens, but I I really don't see him staying in Wolfsburg forever. And yeah, Freiburg I think much like Union Berlin have such an advantage in their stadium. Freiburg is a really uncomfortable stadium to play in. You hear this from players all the time. It's actually the pitch is, like, shorter than it's supposed to be. I think this is, like, one of those weird facts. I think it's, like, half a meter too narrow or something. And, of course, they're building a new stadium right now that's supposed to be open next season. Uh, And I really hope that they can keep that home track record, which they have, but they're they're quite charming with their, you know, Black Forest, tiny stadium in a student town and their old... You know, guru type coach. It's a bit like one of those. I mean, it's like someone invented the club to be in a movie. It's just a bit of a fairy tale, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I've got another club that I think someone invented from a movie, but I it, they're not they're not the, the the good guys in the fairy tale. It's it's Rassenbach Sport Leipzig. They are they've been doing Leipzig things, dropping multiple goals on an outmatched opponent again. Three one win for them at home to Hoffenheim. They look like a cruise missile headed toward the top of the league. You know, Timo Werner had two goals, another one from Marcel Zabica. Marie, I'm growing increasingly convinced that RB are the best bet to win the league this season. They've got depth. They've got a striker who is on fire. He's he's you know he's gaining on Lewandowski and goals. He's got 15 now. He's leading the scorer puncta list. That's, you know, goals and assists put together. They've got a coach who's got a track record of improving players throughout the season and year on year as well. You mentioned Erling Haaland earlier in the podcast. They have a small outside chance of landing him, you know, probably next summer, but maybe in January if, if Salzburg decide they don't care about making a big run at the Europa League, which seems to be their, their most likely move right now. I mean, do you have a reason why I should be pumping the brakes on this this idea that, that Leipzig are going to win the league?
1: No, and honestly, one of the reasons I say that is because of their extreme athleticism. Yeah. The way that they sign players, you know, they've got that secret unwritten rule that they break very seldomly of only signing under 23 players in terms of age. And the defensive players, a lot of them come from the French League. They have a certain build, a certain stature and a certain speed to them. So you've got these tanks like Konate and Upamecano, who are both, you know, destined for probably even greater clubs in the future. And uh, up front, Timo Werner, who you know, not many people thought would extend at Leipzig, and yet he did. And then every summer, they seem to be able to si- find other players who fit in that system. And Kunku is doing really well. He's been a really good, su- kind of like a super sub for them this season. And also Patrick Schick, who mm-hmm. I, I was a bit, if I'm being completely honest, I was a bit skeptical of him as a signing because... I thought, you know, there's no way he can play with Timo Werner, and I, I didn't see him forcing Timo Werner out of the side. But he really played as that yeah. secondary striker.
0: That looked like one of those moves that a team who, who you know, is trying to make that move. We're, we're a Champions League team now. We've got to go out and buy someone with, with a big name, <laughs> and then it doesn't work out. Yeah, But it's working out.
1: Yeah, it's working out, and it's really surprised me a lot that that has worked and he did set up one of Timo Werner's goals and I think he had a decent match. I'm a big fan of Yusuf Hausen, So I think when Pausen really uh, recovers fully from his injury, he will definitely force his way back into the side and into the starting lineup. But yeah, really curious to see what else um, Patrick Schick will add to that team.
0: Yep, for sure. For sure. A team to watch for the rest of the season as they continue their, as I said, cruise missile-like trajectory towards winning the league. Sob, sob. All right, let's, let's leave it there for the first half of uh, Talking Foosball. We'll be back after a quick break. Okay, here comes part two. Of talking foosball. This is the part where we talk about the rest of the match day that just went. This was match day 14. I'm your host, Matt Herman. I'm here with Marie Schulte-Baucom. You know, just as an extra little bonus gift for you, a Schalke aficionado, I decided to push... Marissia Dortmund down into the rest of match day 14. I that would just be a, you know, a, a nice way of saying, saying thank you for coming by. I mean, we do have to say that they, they went past Schalke in the table. They are now one point ahead of them in third place. But this, it, it's interesting. I think there's, there's a fair bit to talk about from this game. They were the men in black this week. They were, they were downright evil. On Saturday, at least from the perspective of of Dusseldorf fans, Marco Royce scored a bit before the, before the halftime whistle. Torgen Azar added another on 58 minutes, and then, you know, the dam broke. By the end, Royce had scored another goal. Sancho had two goals of his own. Dortmund actually looked like the Dortmund we thought we were getting before this season. Marie, all the talk that's been sort of creating a lot of static in recent weeks. All of the, you know, Jaden Sancho is unhappy talk. All the, you know, Dortmund are shopping for other coaches because Favre sucks talk. Royce is playing well under his capabilities. Are, is all that talk, how convinced are you that all that talk is just going to blow over?
1: Wow, that's a tough question. I To blow over, yeah. I think it's a, a matter of managing expectations. I think Dortmund has been in that similar position of kind of being the hunter in the Bundesliga for many years now. And with, you know, with some rights and understandably the fans and also the bosses with Watzke and Swag are a bit tired of being number two in Germany and, you know, maybe in Europe making it to the last 16 or, you know, maybe occasionally to the quarterfinal and then that's it because that's not, that's a bit boring after a while. I mean, it's it's obviously impressive to have that consistency, but it's it's not a role that a club wants to be in forever. So I think if we're looking at expectations and we're looking at it right now and thinking, you know what, this might not be the year where they win the Meisterschaft, but this will again be a year where they'll probably probably qualify for the Champions League and You know, hopefully make it into the last 16 in the Champions League, then that's completely fine. And um, they're playing good football. They played good football against Fortuna Dusseldorf. I actually like that they've given Favre a bit of a chance, that they've kind of, they seem to have come out of rough waters with the same coach. There's a certain courage in that, you know, because it was really an unsettled uh, ship in the storm, to stay with the metaphor. But I think in the long in the like medium to long term future they they might need to you know change the coach to to change something because they invested heavily in the squad so you can't really say that you know they need to spend more money on the squad because they already did that and they're also paying much higher salaries than they did a few years ago and yeah it's a, it's a tough one i think i would be frustrated as a supporter with where they're going because it's not very clear but yeah i think really random but those jerseys were gorgeous (laughs) (laughs) i just i just needed to mention that because apparently they sold out online in like 150 minutes and i love just having the black and not having that like yellow black thrown in your face they had a certain like gleam to them i think they they were like a little bit shiny and, and um apparently they were to celebrate the area's steel and coal heritage, which was a nice touch. You, you never know with these things if it's just a commercial thing or if it re- they really mean it. But um, either way, I think the the jerseys looked really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. It also helps that when you wear your special blackout jerseys, you you win five nil. You <laughs> totally crush. <laughs> One thing I thought was really really positive out of this game is that. You know, Lucien Favre is a coach who often frustrates his club supporters with some of his, um, I don't know, lineup intransigence. There's lots of times where he has you know, either you know, continued to pick a player who a lot of fans thought was not particularly in good form or, or refused to pick a player who some fans think is in good form but isn't getting picked. And it's taken a good while, but it seems to me now that he has figured out that his best central midfield pairing is Axel Witsel and Julian Brandt. Uh, and, and Witzel, I think he, he figured that out pretty quickly. But Brandt, I don't know whether it's because he thought that integrating him into this particular team was taking time or he wasn't getting quite the role from him that uh, he wanted. He was trying to you know make him adjust to to his own uh, tactical preferences, was, was Favre. But Brandt was incredible in this game. He might have been Dortmund's best player, even though he didn't score a goal in this game. I mean, he was you know, setting up his teammates left and right. He was, you know, spraying passes all around. He had a couple of dangerous shots as well. I'm really excited to see Dortmund now that um, Julian Brandt seems to be uh, more of a, a central cog in this team. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think I couldn't have put it any better. He's He played that position in Leverkusen in his last season and already excelled in that central position there. And then in Dortmund, Favre really seems to have struggled to find a place for him. You know, he moved him around a lot. And also I think Favre was perhaps sometimes a little bit scared to play with a, as attacking a formation as having yep. both Witzel and Brandt in the center of the pitch. So sometimes he had uh, Delaney there or Dahoud or Weigel alongside Witzel. And, it you know, it, it's it's obviously it's a bit of a welcome test against Fortuna Düsseldorf in your own stadium. You know, there are other opponents that they can face where this might be a little riskier. But yeah, I agree that Brand was really an outstanding, well, maybe the outstanding man in this match. And also, on another note, Sancho, given all the criticism that he's received and all the disciplinary problems that we often hear he has, especially on match days when he's late to training or he just seems a bit lazy and disengaged, this is this has been his fourth game in a row where he's scored so he's you know at least <laughs> paying his dues on the pitch and uh, yeah I don't really know what to say because I don't don't want to applaud you know that type of behavior but it just shows that he is still committed and if only to put himself in the in the window so to speak in the end who cares I think everyone expects him to leave at some point or another but it's good to see that he's Showing up again in games.
0: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I, I personally think that all that talk about him moving in the winter window, at least, at least in the event that Dortmund, you know, are, are anywhere near the uh, the title places or or in in the hunt for Europe, I, I just don't think Dortmund would have much interest in you know parting ways with Sancho unless the stuff going on behind the scenes is much much worse than than has been implied. I mean, he's late to practice. We're talking about practice here. <laughs> Practice. Practice. Yeah, he's, he's got a lot more uh, contribution to make. Real quick before we leave Dortmund behind, I think it's interesting to note that uh, one Giovanni Reina, made the uh, the match day squad in this game that's a, a 17-year-old just turned 17 year old uh, American player who has been uh, at the club only for a matter of months he's been training off and on with the first team basically training with the first team for the for most of the week this past week if you were around watching this this uh Dortmund Club uh several years ago when, when Christian Pulisic was sort of breaking through into the first team. This was a, a pretty similar trajectory in terms of how he was integrated, making, you know, a matchday squad and not playing, going on the uh the winter training camp, which I think uh seems to be in the cards for for Gio Reyna. You know, I wouldn't mind another American Bundekind in the in the Bundesliga. It's it's fun to have some more eyes on on the league.
1: Yeah, I can I can hear in your tone, you're definitely excited there. And, you know, you hear really good things about him, especially in interviews. He seems to be extremely mature. And I think he's doing really well in the U.S. men's national youth teams. So he's definitely performing and he's a certain hopeful. And I think it is an achievement even to get into Dortmund's Day squad because they've got such a good squad this season. They really, I mean, Favre often has to, you know, leave really well-known players out of the squad, and even among the talents, you know, someone like Raschel, who was, um, who's, you know, has been in the Dortmund academy for a few years and captain their under-19 team last season, and has been really, really exceptional in the UEFA youth, uh, youth uh, in the UEFA youth league this season. You know, I think it says something about Reina that he gets to sit on the bench instead of someone like Raschel. So definitely a, a good hopeful there. All right.
0: Well, uh, well, we'll keep an eye on him, especially if he starts to actually start walking and running and kicking balls and so forth. In actual Bundesliga matches, it will be much more interesting when that happens. we got a few more games to talk about from match day 14. We'll probably do that in relatively quick succession. We did have a Friday night game, one that you know I, I was pretty invested in. It was Eintracht and uh, Hertha BSC. It was a 2-2 two, two draw. None other than Jürgen Klinsmann saw that hair to side of his take a 2-0 lead in this game. Oh, fairly fortunate 2-0 lead, but a 2-0 lead nonetheless. And then saw it slip away, may even have been lucky to, 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 you know, not go home losers, considering the way the last— phase of that game, with Hertha very, very passive. Both teams did snap a losing streak in this game. Five-match losing streak going into that one for for Hertha, and three-match losing streak for Eintracht. Adi Hütter and Co., definitely going to be a lot more disappointed with this result. However, Jürgen Klinsmann was was actually, well maybe I shouldn't be surprised by this, but he was very sunshine filled after this game, <laughs> saying that he thought, uh, you know, team spirit was good, that a turnaround wasn't going to happen overnight. Do you trust him here to, to make that turnaround? Or is this just uh, California Quincy sort of putting the most positive spin on things that he can?
1: Well, both, in answer to your question. I think he definitely has that mentality. I mean, it's hilarious. To, you, you know, usually when we speak of so-called, like, firemen coaches, people, you know, who come to extinguish a fire and save a team. You know, you have people like Gistol or Stevens, people that don't really smile a lot and are just a bit scary and, you know, really kind of grip the team by the neck and shake them awake. And, um, you know, that's been successful in the past, but it's nice that I had just doing the complete opposite and bringing in this, like, sun-kissed, tanned Californian man who somehow was born in Swabia and has a German passport, and everyone's like, huh? Um, You know, because he's just so American to everyone at this stage. And, you know, I think maybe that will help, because the players, um, at least publicly have really complimented him, have said that he's he's kind of made the team more fit, uh, more in shape, and that he's really, a really good motivator, which, of course, we knew before as well. He's definitely changing things up, especially in the lineup. I was really surprised to see Plattenhard back and uh, Duda and Derrida playing uh, at the same time. And that happens sometimes. You know, that's a natural effect when you have a new coach that maybe frustrated players who had kind of given up really do their best in training and you know they really seize that opportunity and that can be really good that can spark new competition so yeah I I don't see Hata going down I don't see relegation danger for them because I think the quality of their squad is just too big
0: yep yep I think so too and I think that there is a new goal for this season and that goal is to overtake Union and uh, that's a goal that's becoming more difficult by the week, uh, considering that they they actually are, are getting better as the season goes on. But, you know, it, it's a goal nonetheless. Speaking of Union, they uh, got a 2-0 win over Cologne. It was a Sebastian Anderson double that uh, sunk the Billy Goats, who were kind of on the other end of the goal line technology dividing line. We saw one famously in that uh, Bayern Gladbach game where uh, Jan Zomer was able to keep uh, a shot out. You know, you know with his hand but kept it going over the line by about you know 10 percent of the ball but uh cologne's with his finger yeah, no, I doubt, I think, think, right?
1: no doubt, right of that was like his fingertip just grab it and i was like wow that's that just shows that you know goalkeeping gloves are worth it <laughs> if your goalkeeper good. spend those extra 20 euros <laughs> get the <'Cause> stickiest
0: the- <laughs> ones you can find <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah, but uh for yeah. Cologne it was Sebastian Bornau a field player trying to kick it uh, out but does you know he wasn't quite as nimble uh, at stopping the ball it did go all the way over the line it did count that put uh, Union over the top Cologne they now find themselves in the league seller because S.A. Paderborn actually got a big win in the final Game of the match day, their first win since match day nine. They're only their second win of the season. Sven Mickel earned it in the dying moments after his goal was first judged offside, then then actually accounted due to an eagle-eyed VAR ref who saw that Teodor Solasi had played Straley Mamba onside. You know, Florian Kofelt. He's probably got to start worrying a little bit now that 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 hoped for a turnaround that everyone thought might be in the cards because everyone let's 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 face it everyone has a lot of time for verita bremen it's a it's a nice club a club that's played a lot of good football over the years that has tried to sort of start a new era with a lot of young players this season and it's not working out everyone wants it to work out but it hasn't just yet what are your thoughts about bremen and their struggles this season i mean I have, have said it for a few weeks now. I mean, them and Herta have to be the most disappointing teams of the season because a lot of the other teams down at the bottom, we thought they were going to be there.
1: Yeah, I do agree that they've been one of the most disappointing teams. They did have a lot of injury problems at the beginning of the season. Yeah. I remember headlines like, you know, they're missing a complete team. I think there was a point where like 12 or 15 players were injured, which is obviously just extremely unfortunate. It's quite sad honestly because I loved watching them play last season. I think last season besides Frankfurt they were you know one of they were probably the most like uplifting team to watch play football because they were just so like relentless in attack and you know no compromise going forward and you know I mean Maxi Eggestein became a German national team player they hadn't had one in a few years. And really, they just did extremely well. And this season, everyone seems to be dipping in form at the same time. I also kind of expected Josh Sargent to make the next step, as we call it in Germany. And he, you know, he he's just kind of you know played like everyone else. He doesn't stick out in a bad or you know good way. So it's it's a little disappointing. And they're not the you know they're they've paled in comparison to what we knew they were. They're like a pale green, maybe, you know, like grass when there's a lot of sun and the grass goes kind of yellowy. They're not, you know, they're not. They're not the rich, green Werder Bremen that we all love.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so a little bit concerning. Yeah,
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's going into the season, I was excited to watch Werder Bremen because they're fun to watch, and, and they've been good, and they have Josh Sargent. As the season pressed on, they've not been particularly good, but at least they had Sargent recently, at least since Sargent hurt himself, and he's going to be out until uh, the, the, the winter break, there is no reason for me to watch Werder Bremen. Uh, so, you know, that, that's where we stand. Finally, from match day 14, this was the, uh, as I like to call it, the If a Tree Falls in the Forest special of the week taken by FC Augsburg. Uh, they defeated Mainz 2-1. Uh, although, who can say... <laughs> you know, no one was there to watch it. So Meitz scored first uh, through, through a, a peach of a long-range effort from Levin Ustinale, uh, later canceled out by Marco Richter, who was making up for an absolute all-timer of a miss in the opening stages of the game. Florian Niederlechner, uh, his, his penalty broke the deadlock and gave the three points to FCA, which is really, for my money, the least that Martin Schmidt deserved for an absolutely dazzling Christmas sweater that he wore in the uh, the mixed zone after the game it was a, a thing of beauty.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's not much to add. I did watch the Frankfurt Mainz match on Monday night in uh-huh. its um, entirety and you know Mainz has some really good players. I think Mainz is kind of underperforming. They they're definitely doing a bit better under the new coach, but someone like Boeytsios I think is a quality player. Kunde has played really well. Yeah, I, I'm not too concerned that they'll, you know, be in any danger. Um, at the in the maybe latter, third of the season, even after this match, which you know, like you hinted at, probably wasn't the most exciting to follow for a neutral football fan. But yeah, something fun that I just came to mind because we were talking about Vera Bremen, that I wanted to mention. Of course, the beloved Weserstadion. Before the end, uh, before the start of the season, was renamed the Von Invest Visa Stadium. Wasn't it just? So they sold their name rights, <laughs> which, you know, just rolls off the tongue, Von Invest Visa. I'm sure all the fans call it that now. And, you know, they've got like these VIP boxes, and I guess Von Invest, the company, has one. And in protest of the renaming of the stadium, the Veda fans in their match against Paderborn, just put a giant black curtain over the glass box which i thought was quite funny i saw some pictures of that and just thought that was worth adding so sorry if any role invest employees are listening i obviously don't endorse that but it was just something i hadn't seen in football before quite an interesting idea
0: no oh, it's okay i think they were probably watching the game on on television in the box I think.
1: <laughs> yeah probably while eating you know fish sandwiches or some nordic
0: cuisine well you know considering yeah. it is it is uh you know on, on the on the Nordsee uh maybe they could get actual actual prawn sandwiches
1: in <laughs> yeah who knows we'll have to try sometime hopefully we'll get invited
0: <laughs> oh i don't know about you for your <laughs> for your for your, <laughs> your dog and bone invest the way that you are <laughs> Okay, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Really, really good to have you back on the podcast, Marie. It, it It was long, but it was worth it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's been a really long time, but it was worth it to discuss everything, like you said. And I hope that any listeners who perhaps see the Bundesliga as more like a niche hobby and follow the Premier League or La Liga more closely... Will really have gotten a bit of an appetite for watching the Bundesliga more because this this is the season to do it. This is the season to join the hype train.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you need to mend your wayward ways and uh, see the light, and uh, come sit down with us at the Bundesliga table. It's really friendly and fun over here. You can follow Marie on Twitter, of course, at Marie Schubow, and you can read her work on Focus Online in german that is if you want to contact me i am at mr mount herman on twitter and you can of course subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your pods i hope you've done that already maybe even give us a rating that would be sweet talking football fantasy with james thurgood and flo reinecke they will be back in action later in the week but anyway this so next to all y'all